You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. We're back, and today is Monday, June 7th, the day where everyone today has been talking about the new iOS features that Apple just announced, especially how you'll now be able to add a legacy contact, i.e. someone who can access your devices after you die. Uh, to which I can only say, hell no! Do you really want the data on your phone to live forever? Who thought of this feature? Let me tell you something, man. When I die, I want everything I've ever done on my phone to die with me. People are getting in trouble for tweets from like six months ago. If our great, 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 great grandkids are looking at our Google searches, it's over for us. No, the only post-death feature I want on my devices is a legacy volcano that they're all thrown into. Anyway, on tonight's show, we're finally launching billionaires into space. Ronnie Chang teaches you how to tweet. And we look at why America is about to make Joe Biden very sad. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. All right, let's kick things off with Jeff Bezos. Amazon CEO and undoubted winner of capitalism. Like a lot of recently divorced middle-aged dudes, Bezos has been going through some stuff lately. But unlike normal dudes, Bezos can't deal with his midlife crisis by just buying a sports car or brewing craft beer. He's the world's richest man. So he's gotta do something that's out of this world. Amazon founder and the world's richest man, Jeff Bezos will soon add a new title Astronaut. His space company, Blue Origin, announced that this morning that Bezos and his brother Mark will fly to space on the company's first human flight. That's scheduled for July 20th. Another seat on the flight is being auctioned off this Saturday. Bidding already underway and is currently more than $2.8 million. That's right, people. Jeff Bezos is shipping himself into space. And you know who this is great news for? Elon Musk. Because you realize for a few hours, he can be like, ha ha, I'm now the richest man on earth. Yes, the richest man. Ah, oh, he's back. I'm gonna go tweet about Bitcoin now. Now, if you ask me, I think space travel is a natural fit for the founder of Amazon. I mean, think about it. Astronauts are just workers who have to wear diapers because they don't get bathroom breaks. So, I mean, it makes total sense. My favorite part of the story, though, is that Jeff Bezos's ship is auctioning off another seat for this trip. Why? You're Jeff Bezos. Just pay the extra money to not sit with a stranger on a trip to space. I mean, this is the culmination of your childhood dream. You don't wanna spend it fighting over the armrest? And I know $2.8 million sounds like a lot of money for a trip to space, but keep in mind, that's basically how much it costs to change your flight on United. Actually, you know what would be amazing? We should all get together and we start a GoFundMe where we buy that second seat and we give it to Bernie Sanders. Man, that would be a trip. This flight could have paid for everyone's healthcare, but oh, you had to see the stars up close. And why is space so cold? Somebody turn up the damn thermostat. Let's move on now to the big political news out of the United States Senate, the political body most likely to need your help with resetting their microwave clocks. Red states around the country have been coming up with all sorts of inventive ways to restrict voting. They're cutting back on voting hours, making it harder to get mail-in ballots, and requiring that all polling locations in black neighborhoods need to be at the center of a corn maze. Makes sense. And because of all of that, 
Democrats have been trying to pass a new federal law that would guarantee certain voting rights nationwide. But as they just found out, sometimes it'd be your own people that take you down. It is Monday, June 7th, and if Democrats were hoping to pass a voting rights bill or end the legislative filibuster, Joe Manchin just tossed a giant monkey wrench into their plans. The Democratic senator from West Virginia announcing that he will not support either, an enormous setback for his party and the president. Manchin defended his decision in an op-ed in the Charleston Gazette Mail, writing voting and election reform that is done in a partisan manner will all but ensure partisan divisions continue to deepen. I think it's the wrong piece of legislation to bring our country together and unite our country. And I'm not supporting that because I think it will divide us further. I don't want to be in a country that's divided any further than I'm in right now. I love my country. And I think my Democrat and Republican colleagues feel the same. Ah, Joe Manchin. I feel you, man. I feel you. But you do realize you and the Republicans are not playing the same game. Like, you think you're solving a jigsaw puzzle together, but those guys are here for a boxing match. And I mean real boxing. Not whatever Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather were doing last night. I mean, whatever you think of Joe Manchin's bipartisan fetish, you have to acknowledge he's a terrible negotiator. Because think of it, the only way Joe Manchin can get what he wants is if Republicans are worried that he might end the filibuster. But if he starts by saying that he won't do that, well, then Republicans have no reason to negotiate with him. It's like if a kidnapper called the family and was like, Now, before we discuss the ransom, you should know that your daughter escaped a couple of days ago. I would still like a million dollars, though. Hello? I will say, though, one thing Joe Manchin is very good at is making himself the most important person in the room. Because in a 50-50 Senate, you can become powerful just by saying that you might not agree with what everyone else in your party wants. Like, a Democrat could just say, I'm not sure if we should raise taxes on the rich and everyone pays attention to them. Or a Republican could say, I'm not sure we should hang Mike Pence. And finally, let's make like baby girl Lisa and go to Nigeria, where a fight is brewing over Twitter. Everyone loves to complain about Twitter. And some people get so sick of it that they quit completely, you know? And then they come back six weeks later to explain why they couldn't actually quit completely. But that's for ordinary people. If you are the most powerful person in your country, it turns out if you get mad at Twitter, you can make everyone quit. Nigeria is a country plagued by kidnappings, extremists, and bandits, but the government wants to crack down on a new type of criminal, Twitter users. It banned the social media platform after Twitter deleted a post by the president. Nigerians are reacting with shock and frustration after the government suspended Twitter's operations in the country on Friday. The move comes just about two days after the social media platform deleted a tweet by Nigerian President Muhammad Buhari that some say threatened to punish regional separatists. Twitter says the tweet violated its abusive behavior policy. This morning, I couldn't even tweet. You see, it's, 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 it's shameful. Damn, I can't believe it. Nigeria banned Twitter. This is outrageous, undemocratic, and indefensible. Also, I will be moving to Nigeria because that sounds like paradise. But yes, thanks to their vindictive president, Nigerians are gonna have a much harder time complaining about the government on Twitter. And on top of that, it's gonna be a lot harder to spoil mayor of East Town. I mean, they're gonna have to go door to door now. So can you understand 
the whole time, it was more about the social dynamics of a small town than about the mother itself. The mother wasn't really important, huh? No, Damita Adebayo, why would you do that to me, oh, huh? I'm only on episode two. How can you spoil that for me? But hey, man, shout out to African presidents because they will always remind the world what a real dictator looks like. Because remember when, when Twitter started flagging Trump's tweets, all he did was throw a tantrum. You know he's gotta be jealous as hell right now. It's like I've always said, those shithole countries, they know what they're doing. Hi, Buhari. Love you. And just by the way, this is, this is random, but did you catch how the CNN anchor introduced this story? If you didn't, I'm gonna play it again for you. Nigeria is a country plagued by kidnappings, extremists, and bandits, but the government wants to crack down on a new type of criminal, Twitter users. Okay, as an African, allow me to say, what the f***? I mean, yes, that's all true, but still, what the f***? Right, you never hear a foreign news anchor talking about the United States that way. America is a country plagued by school shootings, extremists, and failing infrastructure but the government wants to raise the price of postage stamps. But let's move on now to our main story. It's almost summer. You know, that time of the year when you rediscover all the places on your body that you apparently sweat out of. But for President Joe Biden, there's been one thing in particular that he's been looking forward to more than anything. Our goal by July 4th is to have 70% of adult Americans at least one shot. By July the 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends, will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout and a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. We can celebrate our independence from the virus together on the 4th of July as we celebrate our independence as a nation. We can look forward to a 4th of July that feels a bit more normal. The 4th of July, July 4th. A more normal July 4th, the 4th of July. We can have a safe, happy 4th of July. Okay, damn, we get it. I feel like Joe Biden booked a party house for July 4th and just learned it isn't refundable. But yes, Biden hasn't been this excited about an Independence Day since the first one. But as much as he'd like America to get vaccinated so that we can all be as safe as possible when we blow our fingers off with M80s, it's looking more and more like the numbers just aren't on his side. Well, there are some disappointing new numbers out that show the U.S. may actually fall short of President Biden's goal of having at least 70 percent of American adults with at least one shot by July 4th. Nearly 300 million vaccine doses have been administered across the U.S., but vaccination rates have fallen really sharply since their high in April. Less than one million doses of the vaccine are being administered a day, according to the CDC. That is down about 70 percent from the peak in April when the country was averaging about 3.3 million a day. The slowdown could put the president's July 4th goal in jeopardy. The deadline, he said, for 70% of adults to be at least partially vaccinated. Right now, about 63% have gotten at least one dose. Ooh, this is gonna be close. And honestly, I'm a little worried about how Joe Biden is gonna handle this. Because if this comes down to the wire, he's gonna get desperate. Dude's gonna be loading up the fireworks with Moderna needles. Oh, wow, that's... Ah, ah, ah. So, it's not clear if we'll reach that 70% goal, but what's clear is that vaccinations have plummeted, which is especially crazy when you consider that unvaccinated people are being given 
every incentive to get their shots. Vaccine initiatives rolling out across the country, up for grabs, everything from a million dollars to cars to free beer and even concert tickets. The president unveiling new incentives like free childcare while parents get the vaccine or recover from it and touting a blitz of new rewards like free sporting tickets. And if the country reaches the president's goal, free beer from Anheuser-Busch. Get a shot and have a beer. Free beer for everyone 21 years or over to celebrate the independence from the virus. States and cities are loading on the incentives too. At the Talladega Super Speedway, a special promotion would let you drive your car around the track after you get a shot. In West Virginia, the governor is raffling off cash, trucks, and even firearms to those who get the shot. We're going to give five custom hunting rifles and five custom hunting shotguns away. Okay, is it just me? Or are the incentives getting more and more dangerous? We'll give you free alcohol. We'll let you speed around a racetrack. Hell, we'll even throw in some guns. Like, I mean, at some point, these incentives are gonna start killing more people than the vaccine is saving. And look, there's a reason that these prizes are guns and trucks and not notorious RBG t-shirts, right? It's the red states, especially in the South, whose vaccine numbers are holding the whole country back. And the red of the states, the fewer people who have been vaccinated. In Mississippi, it's only 44%. In Alabama, it's 46%. Basically, any state where an electric car is considered gay, they're not messing with the vaccine. Now, there are a lot of reasons why Republicans might be more hesitant to get vaccinated. I mean, maybe they're worried that the microchip in the vaccine will set off the metal detector the next time they storm the Capitol. Who knows? But it's definitely not helping when their political leaders are doing shit like this. With ships already out at sea, one cruise line announced a surprise shift in policy for its U.S. passengers. Royal Caribbean International now says vaccines will be strongly recommended, but ultimately optional for guests on its U.S. cruises. It comes as Florida, the nation's largest cruise hub, is set to enact a law that would ban cruise lines and other businesses from asking people to show proof of vaccination or face fines up to $5,000 per passenger. You heard that right. Florida isn't allowing cruise lines to make passengers get vaccinated before they cruise. They can only recommend it to the passengers. And let me tell you something. A recommendation means nothing to a cruise ship passenger. I mean, doctors also recommend that you don't eat seven pounds of shrimp in one sitting, and yet cruise ship passengers ignore that one every single day. Because you see, cruise ship passengers are not there to follow recommendations. They're there to relax, eat, get a sunburn, and maybe push their spouse off the ship without any legal repercussions. I mean, this law is just madness. I get that people don't want vaccines to be required everywhere they go, but there have to be some places that we can all agree need vaccine requirements. And those places should be any location where your pee and poop stay on board as long as you do. I will say though, There is a massive loophole here for all the cruise lines. And if you own a cruise line, I want you to listen to me right now. Once you're in the middle of the ocean, Florida laws don't mean shit anymore. Yeah. So these cruise ships, they should just get to international waters and then be like, all right, who's vaccinated and who's swimming home? But thanks in part to dumb laws like this and all the people who don't want to get vaccinated, it looks like America could fall just short of hitting that 70% benchmark by July 4th. But if you think about it though, there's nothing special about 70%. 
I mean, it's just an arbitrary number that President Biden chose for that date. So maybe all we need is a goal that's slightly more achievable and a little more fun. When the COVID-19 vaccine became available, the president set a goal. To get 70% of adults vaccinated by July 4th. Sadly, doesn't look like we're going to make it. Which is why America needs a new, more realistic goal. 69%. We can get this country to 69. If we're just willing to come together. To come together. Remember, when you get vaccinated, you're not just doing it for you. You're doing it for other people too. That's why getting to 69 makes everyone feel good. Even if the mechanics of making it work are a little tough to pull off. We can do this, America. The way to end this crisis is right there, just dangling in front of your face. Because if we can get America to 69, it won't just be great. It'll be nice. It'll be nice. Nice. And 69 isn't just a random number. It's also a sex act where participants put their mouths on each other's genitals. 69 the fourth. Turn the pandemic upside down. All right, when we come back, we'll teach you how to lie on the internet. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. During the COVID pandemic, many schools switched to remote learning. And we all agreed that it was a total success that everyone loved. So we at The Daily Show also created a remote learning program, except ours skips calculus and grammar in favor of lessons that you will actually need in life. So grab a pencil and a pen and prepare to attend another class of Remotely Educational. Hey kids, I'm Mr. Ronnie. And today we're learning about creative writing. And no, not that bullshit you learn in school where you like write a stupid poem or something. I'm talking about the creative writing that you actually need to learn. Lying on the internet. Because let's face it, how you come across online is way more important than how you come across in real life. I mean, how many people do you even know in person? Like 10? You can't go viral with those numbers. Screw them. So let's get started with the most important part of the internet, Instagram. Creative writing on Instagram is all about writing a good caption for your pictures. Take this photo, for example. I captioned it, so blessed to live this life. Every day is a new adventure. Just had brunch with all my friends. Hashtag lobster for breakfast. In reality, I saw that car parked outside a hotel I walked by. I have no friends. And for breakfast, I ate pizza from the night before. But this caption makes me look rich and popular, which makes everyone else feel like lazy losers. And that is the power of creative writing. Another great place on the internet for creative writing is your LinkedIn page. I mean, we all know the best way to get a job is to go to a top university. But who the hell can do that? But with the power of creative writing, you can just say you went to one. Harvard, Yale, Stanford, or Oxford. Especially Oxford, actually, because, I mean, how is anyone gonna check that? Have you tried calling a phone number in England? There's all these extra digits, there's a plus sign, it costs $100. No one is gonna check, okay, trust me. Another place you'll definitely need creative writing is your dating profile. Statistically speaking, you probably suck. 
That's why you gotta use words like passionate, adventurous, doesn't live with parents, six foot three. And yeah, you might be thinking, but Ronnie, I'm five foot seven. What am I gonna do? Who cares? They won't realize that until they meet you. And like I said, once you know them in real life, they are useless. And let's just say you're a business owner and you wanna get the word out about your company. Once again, with a little creative writing, you can use your Yelp page to tell the story you want told. And you get to create fun characters you pretend are your customers. For example, Cindy B says, when a trusted friend recommended Ronnie's used cars, I was worried about being taken advantage of, but Ronnie immediately put me at ease. <laughs> you see, exclamation points make it seem sincere. He gave me a fantastic price on an excellent vehicle that totally didn't break down the next day. And he had such a handsome smile. Creative writing isn't just about naked lying. You can also use it to build your brand on Twitter. And the angrier you are, the more attention you'll get. For example, don't just tweet, watching the Olympics. Instead, add, how come the Swedish team doesn't have more black athletes? Huh? Now it's only a matter of time before you're guest hosting on MSNBC. So there you have it. Some really useful ways that creative writing can work for you. And you could also use it to write a book or something. But I mean, <laughs> who reads anymore, honestly? Thank you so much for that, Professor Ronnie. All right, when we come back, we'll talk with Pose star India Moore about the show's series finale. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. My guest tonight is an actor and activist by the name of India Moore. They're here to talk about the series finale of Pose and the new project that they're involved with to help create a more diverse and inclusive fashion future. India Moore, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> Did you say The Daily Social Distancing Show? I, I did indeed. We're in, the last, we're in the last phases of social distancing now. You know, that's, that's what this show became. And then now we're getting ready to slowly go back to normal life. But until then, we're still socially distanced. We just need everybody vaccinated and then we can get back to normal life. So welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about your journey. It really is an honor to have you here because normally when I see you, you're on the cover of a magazine or you're in the Time 100 or you're on one of the most um, widely, you know, just like loved and, and critically acclaimed shows, which is Pose. Um, I should also say Happy Pride Month as well. You know, the world has been going through a particularly terrible time uh, over the past year and a half as things are slowly starting to see a little bit of normalcy. Is there anything special you're doing to celebrate Pride Month? Um, I think myself, like I'm putting more energy and like time and labor into uplifting and centering myself and my health and my joy. And I think um, that's a really beautiful way to celebrate Pride Month considering um, I think for so long, Pride Month has been like, I don't know, like a time where everyone, like where I'm like, you know, asked for a lot or like, you know, there are things that are requested. Right, right, right. So it's, it like feels really good to take time out to like show up for me and give myself attention and love and all those nice things, especially since fin finishing pose, like it was a really beautiful, long, um, and really strong journey. So I think like resting is really healthy for me right now. 
It, it, it is healthy and it is also well-deserved. You know, Pose is one of those shows that comes around once in, in a blue moon. You know, very seldom do you see shows that, that, that not only, I think, speak to a topic that isn't widely spoken about on television, but also in an authentic way, in a heartfelt way, in a funny way, in a... It's just, it's just an everything show that people, people really gravitated towards for a reason. As somebody who saw the show progress throughout the seasons, did you see it getting as big as it got? I don't know. I think like my entire experience navigating life as a trans person always feels like a, a wild card. Mm. You never know how people are gonna, you know, like react to you. Um, you know, when when they come to find that you know there's a trans presence and that that presence is you. I've seen so many reactions that have been uplifting and scary. Um, and so like, that's really what I thought, you know, like what, that's kind of what it, what I thought, you know, like I'm always worried for the negativity or like the interesting, negative. Interesting, interesting. But I was welcoming and open and excited for, um, you know, like welcoming and excited responses to our story, our, our show and our stories. Do, do you think a lot of that might have come from the way you have lived your life or the way you've been forced to live your life? It's easy for people to see you now as the star of a hit television show or doing a campaign with Tommy Hilfiger, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but you had a really hard journey, you know? Uh, you know, you, you, you were homeless for a period, you know? You, you, you had to leave your home because your own family was transphobic and they couldn't, they couldn't handle you coming out as queer. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the journey that you've been on and A, what what you've learned from it. I mean, not, not that you had anything wrong, but what you've learned from it. And then also what you hope others could learn from your journey, both parents and then I think children. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, like I think you um, acknowledged a really, you know, interesting point about like how, you know, people are seen once they have fame and celebrity. The whole point of me visibilizing my story was just so people can see themselves in it. I wanted people to be able to see themselves, you know, um, through my experiences. And I wanted my my experiences and my journey as a person marginalized intersectionally um, to be lessons for other people. I just want to, like, always be mindful in how I take up public space in that way. Um, but I, I'm always hoping for my experiences and when I share them, um, you know, to be reflective for other people, for parents to see themselves and the stories that I tell right, right, about right. how, you know, and hopefully they'll, you know, shift their, their ideas about how they believe they should raise their children and how the way that they raise their children can cause harm, you know, like when they're trans or queer particularly. And so like, you know, for trans and queer people to also feel seen and like, you know, just because I entered the public space in, in um, such a westernized way, I want my community to, um, to just, for those that are, are struggling and that live closely to the experiences that I had, to know that like, is deeper than that and um, that their lives are valid no matter or not if they become famous out of their troubles they can create a purpose for themselves and not have to wait for one, you know, or wait to discover it, you know, like, and so the all, you know, 
that's how I, I use my history and experiences to contribute if wherever I can. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think you do a great job of it. You are also really blazing a trail in the fashion industry. And although Pose has come to an end, there's obviously going to be so many things that you're going to get to do going forward. One of the newest projects you've embarked on involves um, a collaboration with Tommy Hilfiger. Tell me a little bit about that, why it came about, and why you felt like this was going to be the right partnership for you to tell a story through. They um, were, were interested in me leading a, um, a campaign and then a fashion project, you know, that was more personal. Mm -hmm. And that was beautiful. Like, of course, like, if, why wouldn't I, you know, like, um, um, take some to create with such a prestigious fashion brand and then also to have the autonomy and the space to create things. Um, from my lens and then, you know, from my vision. Um, and so, like, I'm really excited for um, this collaboration to continue to roll out. I tried as much as I can um, to uh, create um, a line or, like, a, um, a, a for my collaboration to be as inclusive as possible to right. as many bodies and body types as possible um, and I you know there was a lot of fighting for that and um, there is so much uncomfortableness and um, you know tension and, and learning and um, you know but I'm just really happy um, to know that they were willing to go there with me to adjust and change the metric you know yeah it's uh it's wonderful to see when you look at a show like pose and when you look at your journey in the media, obviously you're, you're doing it for yourself as a human being, which I think is important, but there's an undeniable element of it that is you being a role model, you being somebody that people look up to, you just by your very existence making a statement. I would love to know how you deal with the pressure of that. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I think it's really nice to have um, the the gratification people have given me and to, you know, experience that and um, to be loved by the, by so many people. Um, I'm also 26 years old. I'm also, you know, just a few years removed from the experiences and stories that I'm telling on Pose. And I'm saying like, you know, like immediately when you become like popular for your art, you immediately become like, I don't know, people, like, there's, like, I think especially if, if there's, like, if you are a, a group that doesn't have a lot of representation. Right. You're also, like, really opinionated or, like, really thoughtful and how you express yourself publicly and have, you know, whatever. I think people start to see you as um, in a, um, within the spectrum of leadership. But right, I don't right, right, right. like that about myself necessarily um i'm still learning in fact i'm looking for my elders i'm trying to figure out who my elders are right, who imagine. can i learn from who's close to me that you know um you know can help me you know get in um you know like i i'm like still trying to heal from so much and mm -hmm. also working in a highly demanding industry that demands so much visibility around on me and who I am and I'm you know I'm stealing from a lot and working through so much and trying to get it right you know for me and my people thank you for sharing the journey with us 
Thank you for being fantastic and uh, congratulations on everything you've done and everything you're going to go on and do. India Moore, take care. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you, Trevor Noah. You too. Don't forget, you can watch Pose only on FX. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, June is Pride Month. So please consider supporting an organization called the Brave Space Alliance. They're a Black-led, trans-led, LGBTQ center on the south side of Chicago. And your donation helps them provide life-saving resources like support groups, HIV prevention options, and housing and food services for the entire LGBTQ community of Chicago. If you are able to help in any way, then please go to the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if America doesn't reach 70% vaccinations by Independence Day, well, the country goes back to England. So God save Queen Lilibet. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 